0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran jazz musician, composer, and educator Anthony Branker. We spent some time talking about his new 2023 album, Anthony Branker, and imagine what place can be for us—a sweet and ten movements. It's his eighth release on Origin Records that speaks to notions of place and the overarching issues of inclusion and belonging, as well as the circumstances of exploitation experienced by people of color. Originally from Elizabeth, New Jersey, he is of Caribbean descent, and he works as a composer, educator, scholar, conductor, and performer, and he has been featured on the international stage in Brazil, Switzerland, Poland, Australia, France, Lithuania, Japan, throughout the United States, all over the place dig this interview.
1: Anthony, thank you for taking a minute out today. And before we get into what place could be for us, I want to address COVID. The last three years was quite tumultuous for the world of jazz. And I'm curious how you survived that time period and how it changes the way that you do things now, the way you live your life or the way that you approach music.
2: Um, great question. Uh, for me, since I haven't been uh, a performer, I used to be a trumpet player for many years and had to stop when I had brain surgery back in uh, 2000. Um I've been splitting just my musical existence between, uh, classroom, you know, being a college educator, um composing and, uh, and doing some conducting. And so during this, the per- period of the pandemic, um, you know, it's, really difficult time for so many um you know everyone's keeping their families close and as safe as possible from me um teaching at Rutgers we went into uh remote mode um probably just before spring break of of March of uh, 2020 and so we had to make our adjustments you know based on how we're going to interact with Our students so a lot of the ensembles which you know in the jazz situation uh, is so dependent upon the interaction in the moment interaction between the students creating in the moment um, inspiring each other uh, was no longer really a thing because now we have to move to a, a platform that allowed the students to play but you know they couldn't play simultaneously they had to record tracks and then send those tracks to the next person and then add on to that so it became a matter of kind of getting used to what it's like to to do studio work in that way but um just the immediacy of performing the music any kind of creative music um was sort of lost so it was real tough um When we were able to go back into the classroom, I think all of us just had this exhale that was uh, transformative Um, because now we could feed off the energy, the spirit, the uh, the passion, see the facial expression, just really enjoy each other in the moment. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it played out. For me, um, largely in the classroom. As, as a composer, you know, didn't stop the process; just kept on writing. And in some cases, you know, in isolation, I had a little bit more time to zero in on certain kinds of things.
1: So let's talk about the new project, which is a wonderful, uh, wonderful album you did with Imagine. A suite in ten movements. Talk to me a little bit about how you put this together and how it fit within everything that was going on with, you know, obviously living through a pandemic and now that we're coming out of it. How does this album feel?
2: Um, So I'm so incredibly proud of this project. Um, I have to say that I started writing it um, or contributing movements to it way back in March of uh, 2017. I had actually been in, in Tallinn, Estonia, doing a guest residency at the Conservatory, or the Academy of Music, I should say, with students in the jazz program, and I was there for a few weeks. And that gave me a little bit of a chance during my off hours, so to speak, to um, to really focus on some things that were happening that I wanted to. Create a musical response to and in particular, you know the images that we all were witnessing of the uh, horrific situation that citizens of Syria were going through during the country's you know bloody civil war um, during its peak, and you know the peak of that civil war was two thousand and eleven to two thousand and seventeen um and it 's still going on right um, but somewhere around. 2017, when I was in Estonia, I started to put together ideas for a composition called What Place Can Be For Us? And that really tied into this complicated issue of place that, something that has always been on my mind, right? The the notions of inclusion and belonging. Um, And just trying to figure out ways of dealing with that and expressing that, addressing it as it has occurred historically and socially uh, over over time. So I think when I was in Estonia, the title track, What Place Can Be For Us, um, as well as The Door of No Return uh, and Sanctuary City were the three that kind of got it started. And um, yeah, and different movements sort of came to life over a period of time. Um, and was you know really fortunate to have a chance to go into the studio um last august um just a one day session and a one day or a four hour rehearsal beforehand the day before with some really marvelous musicians and um i 'm just absolutely thrilled as as to what emerged from that interaction
1: so you have Caribbean roots, talk to me a little bit about growing up, talk to me about your childhood and how Not only the roots of music, but jazz got in you. So, yeah.
2: um, My family hails from Trinidad and Barbados. Um, My parents came to the U.S. in the mid-1950s, just after they were married. And uh, my grandparents were already here. My grandmother's from Trinidad as well. And, yeah, I mean, the culture... The music, the art, food, people, the spirit, it's all part of who I am um and sometimes people who expect to hear like a real direct correlation to the you know aesthetic of Trinidadian music and calypso and ska and uh, i'm sorry calypso and Soka soca um in you know in what I present and You may not hear that, but what you are going to hear are a lot of the musical practices and the ways of creating music and the ways of interacting in groups that I've I've heard all my life, you know, listening to Mighty Sparrow, and Lord Kitchman, and all these great artists that my parents had the records um, from growing up. But they also had all kinds of records and they listened to all kinds of music. Um, I remember my dad when, ooh, I may have been, I don't know, 10, 11, maybe 12 years old tops. But I started bringing home these really classic, um, LPs that he got when he was working in the city. And, you know, he's bringing back these Sephora recordings of, of Dizzy Gillespie and John Coltrane, Wilbur Hardin, and Charlie Parker, yeah. um, you know, these other recordings by Freddie Hubbard. And, and he got me my first, Subscription to Downbeat magazine at that time, and you know I was a little bit clueless, um, needless to say. But uh, I realized that that really that meant so much to me, you know, having that sort of introduction to the music by way of those recordings um, and just sort of the the musical spirit that um, was introduced in our, in our household.
1: What was the first live jazz show that you ever saw that really blew you away?
2: Ah, this, I love this question because this is, uh, it was a transformative moment for me. The first live jazz show I heard, I think I was probably a freshman in high school, right? So, kind of old, so to speak, 14. Um, but it was Ben Ferguson's big band. And they had just recorded the album MF Horn 4 and 5 Live at Jimmy's and double album, uh, double LPs for you young people. (laughs) And it was killing to hear this band in performance. Like a friend of mine's father took us. Um, My friend was a trumpet player, is a trumpet player as well, big inspiration to me. And we went to, I I think it was a hotel lobby or hotel uh, banquet room in this area. And I sat there like in the third row and I just heard this passion and this spirit, you know, from the band, these great soloists and, you know, and Maynard doing his thing as just this legendary presence on the bandstand with his sound and technique and range. And I I left that saying, I want to do something like that. I I need to have that in my life. I'm not sure whether professional musician was the first thing I thought, but I just knew that I need to have that in my life um, at that moment.
1: So in all of the aspects that go into being a professional musician, what is it that you look forward to the most? What do you like the best about this process?
2: The um connection with the audience. For me that's that's everything. And I keep that in mind as um um conducting as I'm communicating with students in a rehearsal as to the importance of their role and how they should see themselves in the ensemble. I think about this when I'm writing music, um, when I'm recording music. To me, that's the most important relationship. And I try to find a way of of making that connection with the listener. Um, it, It may sound strange, but when I'm composing music or even when I'm Conducting concerts, you know, as I have over the years with different kinds of ensembles, I'm not really thinking about the jazz listener, right? The person who is really accustomed to the music. They have insight into the tradition. They know what to listen for. I'm thinking more about the general or everyday listener, someone who's, you know, not coming into that process with the listening process with, um, a real understanding or um, experience with active listening. So I try to meet them where they are. And what I know um, is that melody, you know, melodic lyricism, rhythm, storytelling are the ways to make that connection. Um, Aaron Copeland talks about this composer, Aaron Copeland in his book, what to listen for in music. Um, you know, the, general listener, they, they're they not really concerned about, you know, these incredibly complex harmonic manifestations and, you know, chord progressions and superimpositions of chords, you know, uh, or formal structures or, you know, all that stuff. It's what grabs them is the immediacy of the melody, something that they can connect with, that they can hear, that they can sing, that they can hum, that's memorable. And with rhythm it's sort of the same thing in a different way, you know. For me, it it can be in the manifestation of groove, right? Getting something that has a particular feeling or vibe, it could be in the kinds of rhythmic phrases, rhythmic interaction, but it's also like thinking about rhythm as like having that kinesthetic effect, right? Making the listener want to move, making them want to dance. And so that's how I think about connecting with the listener and that's you know that's everything Uh, for i think any kind of performing artist that's everything the the listener the observer if you're talking about dance you know that person who's taking in what they're seeing that's we can't let that individual that collective audience get lost in all this and think it's just about us right? right
1: You know, you've been on a lot of stages around the world, and I'm curious, what was the first stage you got on that you almost had to pinch yourself? It was a bit surreal, something you would look forward to, or just a magical place for you?
2: Um, I think that would have to be, and you know, again, maybe a little bit later in life, but the chance to play at the Pori International Jazz Festival in Pori, Finland, um, when I first joined the Spirit of Life Ensemble in the mid nineties um it's just humongous international festival. I think the year that we were there i mean it's it's mostly jazz, but you know Earth Wind, the Fire was part of the festival, the year that we were there, and, you know seeing Diana crawl there um, oh, i I'm drawing a little bit of a blank but still so long ago, but just you know Ray charles just an incredible artist. And, you know, we had our, our performance slots, but it was also an opportunity to go and, and hang with, with peers um, and take in all this great music and, and really just see how the audiences there were just so about that experience, you know, about the, the music and just up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning listening to five ensembles. It was just great. And I just, I thought to myself, this is the absolute blessing. I'm so happy to um, have a chance to experience
1: this. You know, you kind of mentioned about the way that fans interact with your music, but I'm curious, with this album, what is your hope for the listener? What are you hoping with this new album that the listener gets from it?
2: Um, yeah, so it's complicated. Um, I'm dealing with some issues that are related to as I, I mentioned earlier the you know the, the notions of inclusion and belonging, um, looking at place as an emotional state of being, right, a safe place. Looking at um, these zones of refuge. Looking at examples and, um, of, of exploitation. So there's a real look historically. Um and and obviously the African American experience is a central part of this, but it shouldn't be lost that um, there are a number of pieces within this and, and that are dedicated specifically that are dealing with other disenfranchised groups and, and populations. Right. There's pieces that deal piece that the chair with tears to standing rock Deals with um, indigenous indigenous peoples and the um, genocidal treatment that you know they were subjected to. Um, It deals with the global citizens of Syria, um, sanctuary city, which you know that whole notion of refuge for for immigrants that I think crosses over between the Syrian refugee crisis, but it also looks at the recent. Texas a Mexico um, border refugee and immigration crisis where, you know, citizens of, of Central America, of, of Cuba, um, wherever, are seeking refuge, asylum, trying to escape all manners of violence and, and poverty and authoritarian rule that has just taken hold of their lives. So I'm dealing with, I think, important issues that, just need to be articulated. And in this way, they're articulated through the music, through the creative responses by the musicians, by the passion that they play with, by the images that they create. Um, as a composer, you know, I'm in the stage now where you know, I'm thinking about bigger picture issues. I'm thinking about a bigger canvas in terms of a suite or these longer extended works. And I'm trying to think more so now than I probably have before in in more visual ways, right? Like a visual artist or even a filmmaker is thinking about the flow in cinematic terms. Um, and so as I'm writing and having these images that I'm trying to um, put on paper that will eventually be interpreted by these great musicians, I'm really thinking about um, the receiver, of all this and the kinds of images that they see which may not be what I see and what I see is not really important but I want to create something that does have that visual cinematic episodic kind of component to it um, to allow the listener to let their imaginations uh, run with this and place themselves in ways that address the themes that um that are all part of this 10 movement suite.
1: So very simply put, why do you love jazz?
2: Um, I love jazz. I love creative music. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, I I teach a course, a graduate seminar at Rutgers for the last uh, four or five years now on jazz historiography. And what we're looking at is just how the narrative of jazz has been told and whose voices have been privileged to to tell that story, to shape that story, and what voices have been left out. Um, so sometimes even the term jazz can be one that is, you know, wrought with um, misinformation, with, I don't know, um, terminology that a lot of musicians will kind of stand clear of. Um it's creative music. It's part of the African-American musical experience. It is America's contribution to the world of so many things. Um, but jazz has always been like a fusion music, right? It's always been a music that has allowed itself to connect with other influences. And that goes back to New Orleans, connecting with march music and brass band music and the blues and ragtime and all that stuff. And and today, it's it's you know, all bets are off. The music can interact and and create something unique when it combines with music of other cultures, when it combines with ways of knowing that are coming from the classical uh, music side of things, um, from R&B and and hip-hop and and other kinds of black music and, and popular music and Latin music. So it's... It's a music that allows for this wonderful interaction with so many other forms to allow the person creating to speak in authentic ways ways that are authentic to them and their experience and their influences so it allows for so much incredible freedom uh, freedom of expression um, for those involved to to be involved in conversation right in and communication, and risk-taking, all those things. It's just a glorious a way of approaching music-making. And I think listeners understand that and they can appreciate what's being presented to them and are just um, engaged in, in what they hear and what they see. It's just beautiful music that um, I, I wish more young people would be exposed to, but hey, that's why we're here in education, to kind of do our thing and make those things happen.
1: So everyone out there has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're the one living your life. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are?
2: I think I'm a virtual person at heart. I think um, I'm someone who doesn't necessarily think about themselves first, And foremost, Um, it's about my students, it's about my family, it's about everyone I come in contact with, and it's about me just not worrying about who I am, but what I can offer and what I can give in the way of the music, in the way of daily interactions, in the way of just, you know, some small way inspiring students or whoever to think about things in different kinds of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's simple. That's, that's all I can see in, in myself. But at the root of it all is that, yeah, I'm, it all comes from a spiritual place, something that was um, I was exposed to growing up in my household and my extended family. And um, I I love who I am and where I am at this stage of my life.
1: Anthony, hey, thank you for opening up about the music, about the the current world we live in, everything related to your, your history. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. God bless you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New Jersey, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Anthony for his time, energy, and cool. You can find archived Neon Jazz interviews at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can subscribe to us at YouTube. For all things Neon Jazz, the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.